Good morning once again. Uh, we're going to be in the book of John, uh, chapter 8 this morning. Oh, kids, you can't be dismissed. Um, we love you. We love your teachers. Man, I got to do this one. I got to do it. At least for my wife, I got to do it. Dismiss them today. And so, um, whew, um, I'm going to try to do this without crying too much today. Um, what else is new? And uh, we're in John 8, and, you know, we celebrated baptism. And when you have days like this, you can't help but think back to your own salvation and baptism, right? Um, I was baptized when I was five years old. Five, little old Jason, big old ears, skinny old Jason. A lot has changed. A lot hasn't changed. Um, ears still big. I just kind of grew into them a little bit. And so got baptized, feet went straight up out of the water, you know, classic stuff. Um, but more than that, I remember, and I remember even, maybe you're in this room and you kind of understand this, uh, with faith, um, this real sense of doubt, right? Like we can, Adam was very honest today, right? Like wrestling with real doubt, Maybe you in this room have wrestled with like, with real doubt. And when we wrestle with doubt, myself, I've talked to people and friends who, and there's kind of three questions that we kind of walk through when we wrestle, or maybe it's just me. Here's the first one. First question, is it true? Like, is the message of the Bible true? Let me put it this way. Here's the real, the real crux, is the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus true? Because it can be hard to believe sometimes, right? Like just, you know, from the dead, created the world out of nothing. There's whales and people. Well, this week somebody got swallowed by a whale, but I don't know if you heard that or not. Kind of crazy. Um, but the question is... Is it true? You know, you, you read stories, you see documentaries. There's so many things in the Bible that aren't consistent, doesn't line up. Can we trust this? Can we trust that? It's a real question that we have, isn't it? Is it true? Second, if we can maybe get to the truth part and maybe kind of like, okay, I think there's truth here. The second is, is it good? Is Jesus good? Is Christianity itself, is it good? Because for many people, their experience of Christianity is other Christians. Either in real life or a past church or God forbid online. <laughs> um, where their picture, thank you Luke, their picture is, is a picture of, this isn't always true, but it's the picture, right? Perception is reality of hypocrisy of apathy. And if we're really honest, many times what people see in Christians and what is oftentimes true is a lack of love. It's a lack of love. Like Christians want to be right, but they don't want to really love. So is it true? And if that's true, is it actually good? Is what Jesus brings actually good? Does it make any difference in the world at all? And last, does Jesus actually change anything? I read a stat this week that Shreveport, Bossier area, 
we are the seventh ranked city in America at reading our Bible. Now, Monroe was first. Monroe was first. Might stink there, but they read their Bible. And sorry if you're from Monroe. Um, And here's the question I had as I read this, and that's a good thing. This is a hard question. Does our area look any holier than any other area from us reading the Bible? Does Christianity actually change anything? And when we're in our beds at night and we have these doubts, we doubt, is it true? Is it good? Does it work? And those are real questions. And I will tell you, if you have those questions, I empathize on some level, I understand. But when we have these questions, if you talked to me before about this, I'll tell you one thing. Ask those questions, but we've got to look at Jesus. Friends, hear this today. We have got to look at Jesus. And we're going to be in John 8 today, and we're going to see a picture here where I think Jesus answers these questions. And our first point today is very simple. Jesus is true. Hear that. Jesus is true. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is right. Jesus is truth. Let's go to John 8. As you open your Bible, if you have a semi-new translation, you're going to see something in this text. You're going to see, in mine it says right here in little brackets, the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 811. And the entire passage is in these brackets. So why is that? If this is true, Like, why is this note here? Is this an example of just one more inconsistent thing with the Christian faith and win God's word? It's just kind of thrown together. So the reason we see this is because most scholars do not believe this passage was a part of the gospel when John was first written. That's why you see this here. The evidence goes kind of like this. The first thought. This story is missing from all Greek manuscripts of John before the 5th century. All the earliest church fathers omit this passage in commenting on John, and they go right from John 7.52 to John 8.12. In fact, if you just take this out, the text flows kind of nicely from 7.52 to 8.12. Second thing, fourth thing, no Eastern church father cites this passage before the 10th century when dealing with the gospel. And last thing, when the story starts to appear in manuscripts or copies of the gospel of John, it shows up in three different places throughout those manuscripts. It's in John 736, 744, 21, And in one manuscript of Luke, it's in actually 2138. And so there's all these things, and that is why you see this kind of bracketed off, it's kind of this inconclusive thing. So the question is, can we trust scripture? And this may seem a bit like studious or seminary this morning, but I believe it's vitally important. And here's why. Because we find Jesus in God's word. And if we don't trust God's word, we're going to miss out on Jesus. And I want to, as best I can as one of your pastors, help you see that scripture is true, reliable, and sufficient. So I want to pan out for just a moment and just look at the Bible and reasons why we can trust its validity. First, the 
there's, there's lots of manuscripts of the Bible. We'll get that in a second. And you do find differences in these different things. You find differences. But hear this. The vast majority of these are what people call textual variants. Textual variants. And they're actually very small things like spelling, grammar. Hear this. Throughout the early spread of the Christian church, the New Testament letters were copied by hand in order to give instruction to the new communities of faith. Have y'all seen my handwriting? Have you seen it? If you haven't, it is just terribly ugly. Imagine if I am listening to these guys recount the gospel and I'm in charge of translating. There's going to be a few grammar and spelling mistakes. I promise you that. Or you just can't read it. Hear this. Daniel Wallace, a scholar, says this. We have about 98% agreement between the main sources of biblical manuscripts once you take out these small, minute issues. Second major point on how we can trust scripture. We have loads and loads and loads of manuscripts. In fact, the New Testament alone is a completely different league in comparison to other historical documents. The Iliad, for example, has more manuscripts than any other ancient work on the Bible. It has about 1,700 copies of the Iliad. This pales in comparison to the New Testament, which has almost six thousand copies of those manuscripts the more copies you have the better but the more handmade copies the more possibility for spelling and grammar mistakes that you see third the copies of the new testament are much closer to the original than the copies of like the iliad for example the earliest copies that exist of homer's work is from 400 years after he first wrote it The earliest widely accepted New Testament fragment we have is from the Gospel of John, and it dates within 50 years of the original writing. Fourth, the New Testament was quoted by the early church fathers in history. So in addition to these massive stack of manuscripts, we have enough quotations of the New Testament by these early church leaders to reproduce much of the New Testament. Their teachings speak to its validity and its history. Fifth, the main character of the New Testament rose from the dead. Many have found this evidence for Jesus' resurrection to be compelling. If he did indeed rise from the dead, according to scriptures, as of course we believe to be the case, then the New Testament takes a powerful place of authority. Last, while many appreciate the ancient writings of someone like Homer, we can learn things. He's not really known for changing lives. But the author and the main character of the Bible, Jesus Christ, that is what he does. He changes lives. Hear this. Jesus, through his word, has changed the world. He has changed the world. We have history and we have life right here in front of us. In short, the word of God is a miraculous text that God has handed down to us. It's a miracle to have God's word, to reveal who he is so we can trust it and trust him. So this word must take priority in our lives. So if, the Scott, so if we can trust the word, right? Well, how did this passage get here? If the word of God is true and we see how it's put, how is this passage here? First, scholars all believe this is a true account. 
that this actually happened. Where there is debate is when and where to place it in the Gospels. So they place it here because this has the most evidence of being right here. And second, the message of this passage is the message of the gospel. It is backed up and supported through numerous texts in the life of Jesus throughout all of scripture. So today we can dig in knowing that Jesus is true. His word is true. And it's a supernatural word through this Bible to us today. And the word of God still speaks today. It's still living and active today. Just this week, I'm reading God's word, it's a, and it's telling me new truths about who he is through his word. So how we use his word, how we approach his word, how we honor his word is of utmost importance. Because in this passage, the scribes, the Pharisees, I'll just say the religious in this text, they do not use God's word correctly. They do not honor God's word correctly. But thank goodness for Jesus. Let's go to verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought this woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They come right at him and they come from the law. Look at Deuteronomy 22. This is correct. It says, if a man, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So they have the law, they have this woman, they put it right in front of Jesus. But there's one important detail they have left out. They only brought the woman. They only brought the woman. What does the law say? The man and the woman should both be put to death. And this small little detail, this small little thing they miss, they are caught for what they are. This proves their motives are not to uphold the law. They're not to uphold the law and to honor God. Look at verse 6. It tells their motive right here. This they said to test him, that they might have some kind of charge to bring against him. They were trying to prove a point. They're trying to catch Jesus in some kind of problem. They try out the Sabbath. Now they're trying here with this lady. They were using the miraculous word of God passed down from generation to generation from God himself to prove a point and one up God himself. And here's the truth. I read this and I study this and I look at this and hear this, this humble humbles me and it scares me to death and here's why because how many times have I done the same thing where I have taken God's word and I've used it as a hammer for other people instead of as a scalpel for my own heart and the truth be told many times I use that hammer on the ones I love the most 
And I think sometimes we're in a place now in the church, in the world, where that hammer is now used online. Does that make sense? We have a pharisaical thought, and used to just our family at the brunt of that. But now the whole world sees our foolishness. And so what the world sees is a pharisaical, externally obsessed people instead of people of love, people of Jesus. And the church and its witness has suffered. God's word, when it's used properly, as we read God's word, it's primarily used to reveal and to change our hearts, not to prove points and lift ourselves up. All right, let's keep going here. Go back to verse six. I want you to imagine this woman. Have you ever been just, um, there's stories running in my mind right now of when I've been caught. And, and not just like little kid caught where you like lied and you got caught lying when you're seven years old. I mean like 27 years old and you've been doing things you know you shouldn't be doing and then the whole world finds out. Or the ones you love the most find out. And there is just that sense of shame. Have y'all felt that before? Imagine this woman committing adultery. She's dragged out in front of all the leaders of her day. And she's dragged out, maybe without her knowing, literally in front of the Son of God, who is sitting and teaching. Look at verse 6. They asked this question. Then Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We read this and our imaginations go wild, don't they? Like what in the world is Jesus writing in this dirt? I will tell you, I don't think it's that important because God's word does not expound on what he wrote. We see what happens in this text. Let's keep going. They continued to ask him. They kept just like badgering and badge. I imagine my kids wanting to go somewhere, right? Just badgering me. Answer my question. And finally, he stood up. This kind of just like scares me a little bit thinking about like the son of God, you're kind of like trying to trick into and he stands up. And the authority, the one who was there at the beginning, who spoke everything into being, stands up and says this. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Whoa. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one by one, beginning with the older ones. Think about that. The older ones first. It must be, if you're older, you're highly aware of just the legacy of sin in your own life, right? So the older ones, the one with the longest ledger of sin, they go first. And then Jesus was left alone with the woman. And as my brother Adam said earlier, when it's just you and Jesus, he stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? And friends, hear this this morning. Has no one condemned you? She said, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. You. Hear this. 
Whether you're caught in your sin or you're hiding your sin, Jesus is inviting himself to you with no condemnation. And here's what we see here about Jesus. We, we know he's true, but hear this. Jesus is merciful. Amen? Jesus is merciful. I say this all the time. Our sin is great, but his mercy is more. This response by Jesus, it reflects his compassion for sinners. His, literally, there's this thing, whenever I, I go somewhere with my wife, I don't like big crowds. And if we go to like a social gathering, oh my goodness, it's rough. And I just stay close to my wife. I, I want to be with her. I love her. I just, my, my, my posture is always towards her. It just is. Hear this. Jesus' posture is that way towards sinners. It's not repulsed by you. He's not putting up with you. Jesus is for his people. Let me keep going. We see this in the book of John. 317 says this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yes, he is true. He is true. He is true. He is the beginning and the end. But his truth is not a hard or cold truth. His truth, it's this merciful, steadfast kind of love, never giving up kind of truth, right? It's a truth we can cling to when things are bad. It's a good truth, a merciful truth. But see, the religious of his day, and even today, they wanted this truth to be used to shame and to kick out, to exclude and to lift themselves up. That is not the truth of the gospel. That is the truth of man. And that truth of man perverts our hearts, and it gives a false impression of the world around us of what the truth is. Because his truth is a merciful truth. It's a steadfast love kind of truth. Uh, Dane Ortland says this, lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts towards others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. Jesus does not love like us. Write that down, please. Jesus does not love like us. On my best days, I love nothing like Jesus. I love because he first loved me. He does not love like us. Do not use us as the example. He does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Amen? Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Amen. Let's go home, right? Jesus loves to the end. Gosh, just good. This love, this mercy, you know what shame does? Adam's speaking truth this morning. Shame just like fixes some external things sometimes like a week. You know that shame, you feel bad, you stop doing this for a week. But love, gospel, agape, steadfast, never giving up kind of love, it penetrates to the hearts. Doesn't it? It pierces the heart and it changes the affection. It plants a seed and it grows something we cannot even imagine. But there's one small part left out still. Because yes, he is true. Yes, he is merciful. But there's more. 
there's more. Go to verse 11 again. He said, neither do I condemn you. And he ends with this. Go and from now on sin no more. Go and sin no more. This is more mercy from Jesus. Because a merciful God doesn't want us to walk in the just shallowness of sin anymore. His mercy allows us to go and sin no more. That is love. See, the world tells us that acceptance is love. But his mercy says go and sin no more. He is full of grace and truth. Which brings us to our last point. Hear this. He is true. He is merciful. But Jesus will change you. Jesus will, sorry I'm pointing. Jesus will change you. We tend to not like this part. Listen, we love the mercy. Give me more. I, I mess up so much. Give me the mercy, Jesus. But to actually allow him to be Lord. Woo. But hear this. If we can experience truly experience the mercy of Jesus and not change. And hear this, we haven't really experienced the mercy of Jesus. It's like if you eat bacon and then want turkey bacon. Hear this, you haven't had bacon. You haven't had it. If you taste the mercy of Jesus, you want nothing else. Nothing else. Because there's nothing like the mercy of Jesus. Me and Lou were talking this week. We're on the phone and we're having like a little hallelujah party on the phone. Because we're talking about the gospel. Is life hard for you? Is life hard for you? Yes, no. Yes, it is. I'm sorry I'm being so talkative today. Listen, life is hard. Me and Tracy this morning, Connor was being a jerk this morning. And I'm preaching, Tracy's trying to tell me about it so I can like relax. But I know Connor, he's a jerk sometimes because life is hard. And I yell at my kids sometimes. And I'm lazy at home with my wife. And I do these things and I do this. But then I remember his mercy. I remember his mercy and I experience this right here. I experiencing, I experience freedom. Freedom from myself. Freedom from sin. And hear this. God is changing me. Not overnight. I, tr I pray, I promise you, not overnight. But slowly, piece by piece, God is changing me because he will change us it's a mercy that changes from the inside out and here is the key here in this text he did not come to abolish the law or not follow the law but he came to change to, to remind us of this the law has a foundation of grace and mercy and it's through grace and mercy is the only proper way we can actually keep the law it's through grace and mercy that we actually change. It's through him, it's through his grace and mercy. He wanted true change. You know, he says later in the gospel, not inside the cup, not outside the cup, right? He is concerned with inside the cup. And the only thing that gets inside the cup is his grace and mercy. It's not your good works, it's not your plans, it's not your discipline. It's only through his mercy that the inside the cup is changed, that your heart is changed. But here's the problem, if we're honest today. Most of us, we're okay with temporal and external change. We're okay with outside the cup 
temporary change. But hear this, Jesus is not okay with that kind of change. He wants internal and eternal change. It's internal change that lasts for eternity. But that's only found through his grace and mercy. Hmm, I am sweating this morning, guys. Listen, we want to come to Jesus, or I, I want to come to Jesus by my works and by what people see. And this was the pharisaical heart, wasn't it? That we could do this and we did this so people would see us and lift us up. That's how in my own flesh I come to Jesus. But he wants us to come to him by grace, by what he's done, by nothing we've done. And he's focused on the inside, on the unseen things, on when no one else is around, how we act, how we love, how we talk. That's what he is concerned about. And here's our, our, our last main thought for the day. The true and merciful word of Jesus changes everything. That true, merciful word changes everything. It can change you, can change your family, can change your neighborhood, can change our church, can change our community, can change our country, can change our world. But hear this, external Temporal truth, temporal works will never change the world. Only his grace and mercy can change the world. His grace and mercy is the secret sauce of our faith. Many of us are tired, exhausted, maybe done with Christianity because we're tired of this kind of faith. But grace and mercy led faith, hear this, is a lightweight faith. Because it's not on me and what I've done. It's what, on he's, what he's done, Right? So we ask these questions. Is Jesus true? Is it true? Well, we've looked at just the, the whole history of how the Bible was compiled. We look at just the message and the, and the testimony that he did change the world. And, and for me, I can't go to bed at night without saying this right here. Jesus is true. Is he good? Is he good? Here's what I can tell you. Uh, the world is better because true Christianity has been in the world. I can't speak to false religion. I can't speak to hypocrisy. I can't speak to dead faith. I'm not speaking of those things. I'm talking about true, humble faith in Christ will change the world for better. And I will tell you this, it's changed my life. It's changed my world. And I have friends in this room where it has changed their life and it's changed their world. True, merciful faith in Christ can do miraculous things. And, and friends, it's our only hope. You might be here and you might be just like Adam was a while back. And you've done this church thing. You've made lots of money. You have lots of friends. People think really highly of you. But you don't have true faith. You're full of doubt because you don't know you've never truly experienced the real bacon, right? You're just full of turkey bacon. <laughs> just full of it. You're fat on it, right? And you're sluggish and you're tired because the real stuff is what brings life. And, and that is, I started this message with this right here. You have to look at Jesus. And Jesus is here. And he's saying, I don't condemn you. 
come to me so that you can go and sin no more. I've got three ways I want you to do that today. Here's the first way to come to him. First, I want to ask you to confess your sin and come to his mercy. This woman was dragged out in her sin, right? She was dragged. Don't be dragged out. We've all been there, right? We've been dragged out. Don't drag out. I have friends in this room who have confessed their sin. It was hard. It was painful. But here's the truth. There's freedom. There's freedom. Because there's not condemnation. There's grace to actually change you. So today, on your card, we're going to come find me in the back. We'll pray together. Confess your sin and receive his mercy. Listen, you're parched. You're dehydrated. Confess and receive living water this morning. Second, commit to his true word. When I say, I mean like capital C commits. Like you write it down, you tell someone, you do a blood oath, whatever you got to do. Commit to his true word. And over this hundred days of summer, we're doing this. We're starting the day and we're ending the day with God's word. Because his word, because it is true, it is miraculous, it must have the final say. So we must commit to his word. And it's in his word, hear this, where we find his mercy. It's in his word we find his mercy. And hear this, his law, his way, that's merciful. See, his word is is a lamp, it's a light showing us the path to abundant life. Not to keep us from things, but to protect us for things. That's only found through committing and meditating and reading on his word. And this is not a microwave. We want to like read the word like, you know, two times in a month and say, okay, I read God's word. It didn't work for me. No, this is a lifetime of pursuit of piece by piece, faithful obedience of committing to his word. And last thing, you might be that person as you see these waters today and you consider your faith and you say, I have never taken that step. Honestly, surrender to his mercy today and let him change you by faith by childlike faith, let go of everything else and come to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, you are good to us. We are not worthy of the mercy and the grace that you show us. We are thankful. And Father, I ask that you keep doing your saving work even right now, Father. For those of us in the room that are just kind of limping along, Lord, that you would let us come to you with no condemnation, but simply receive your mercy and change us from the inside out. Father, I just ask you to speak to us this day. Please speak to us. Illuminate truths from your word right now in the hearts and minds of us today. And Lord, give us, give us the courage and the faith to take that step. That step we're kind of scared to take where we know on the other side of that step, Father, it's a different life that we're not we're not sure about, where we lose control, where we let go of things that are dear to us, Father. Give us the faith to take that step today, Lord. We ask your spirit to move right now, Lord.
We love you, Jesus. We thank you for merciful, saving truth. Lord, we do all, all of this, preaching, singing, all of this for your name and for your glory. Amen. If you want to pray with somebody, I'll be in the back or others will be in the back as well to pray with. Take your time and consider God's word.